This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Mayor Culpa is still on vacation, folks, but instead of being totally lazy and running a best of episode, we have a brand new interview for you with the Lincoln Project's Reed Galen. So without further ado, the main event. Reed Galen is an independent political strategist and co-founder of the Lincoln Project. A veteran public affairs and political professional with more than 20 years experience, Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 500, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. Reed has also managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, Texas, and Colorado. Before moving to the private sector, he served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Galen also worked on both the 2000 and 2004 campaigns of President George W. Bush. Between campaigns, Galen spent a year at the White House and served the Bush administration at both the U.S. Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. Galen joins me on mea culpa as the GOP continues its culture war bombardment of the Democrats in their quest to turn out the more extreme end of the Republican base this November. Galen and I discuss what the Lincoln Project calls the GOP's autocracy playbook in light of a series of shocking decisions that we'll discuss over the next hour. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Reed, yesterday you retweeted something that I found to be absolutely terrifying from your Lincoln Project colleague, Stuart Stevens, who wrote, and I'm going to quote, there's an autocracy playbook the GOP is following. We can either ignore this and pretend it isn't true, which what the GOP is betting on, or fight. At Project Lincoln, we've already said if the Republicans win, 2024 will be the last election we recognize. But it is already changing even before the election. Now, It seems Stevens wrote this after news broke that the RNC unanimously voted to withdraw from the commission on presidential debates. Can you do me a favor and unpack for my listeners, first of all, what the commission on presidential debates is, what Stevens means by an autocracy playbook, and why 2024 election will be the last one that you guys recognize should the GOP win? Sure. So the Commission on Presidential Debates, I believe, was started. um, Well, the first televised presidential debates were in 1960, the very famous Kennedy Nixon debates. Right. Where uh, if you watched it on television, uh, Nick, you know, Kennedy won. He was young. He was good looking. And Nixon was sweaty. If you listen to it on the radio, you thought Nixon was one. Nixon won because you thought he was more articulate, more versed in the issues, et cetera. So since 1960, we've had these presidential debates. I believe in 1988, they formed a bipartisan commission uh, to basically say, OK, we're going to take this out of the hands of networks individually. We're going to take this out of the hands of people who don't have any you know, skin in the game, for lack of a better way to put it. We'll have prominent Republicans, prominent Democrats who will negotiate with the campaigns, whether or not that's, let's say, in 1988, George W. H.W. Bush and Michael Dukakis. They'll do all this stuff. It'll be sponsored by corporations and the networks. Everybody will get equal access. They'll set the rules, you know how many debates they're going to be, what the formats are going to be. And this has been in place for, you know, the better part of, you know, 35, 40 years. Um, As you know, um, Trump, you know, was happy, I think, about the 16 debates because he was able to go in and do whatever he wanted to. Um, In 20, uh, I think it has more to do with the fact that in that first debate, um, Biden didn't let him get away with his normal shtick. As you know, he 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 does that sort of wild man thing. And a lot of people sort of step back. Uh, then they canceled, I believe, the second debate because of, I think, Trump having covid. And then in the third one, I don't even remember what happened. It doesn't matter at this point. Um, but he always hated the idea that someone else, I think, was in charge of it. Um, and Republicans have always said, well, the moderators are skewed. Um 
you know, the, the, it's, it's, uh, they're all baked in, you know, the questions, whether or not it's from a reporter or from a member of the audience are all cooked against the Republican. Um, and so this is, I think, the end result of, um, you know, Trump not liking it um, and, you know, wanting this thing to go away. Now, I will say this, too, though, Michael, which is at least in the Republican Party, as soon as there is a Republican nominee, that nominee and their campaign own the Republican Party. Right. They own the RNC. They own their campaign. They own all of the other vehicles. So even if the RNC says you have to sign this pledge, right, if it's not Donald Trump and it's somebody else, let's say it's Ron DeSantis or whoever it might be, they're going to make the decision whether or not they're going to participate, not anybody else. So there's a lot of sort of hullabaloo and all this. But the truth is, at the end of the day, if Trump's the nominee, he won't participate. If it's somebody else, they probably will. But, you know, Reed, let me just jump in for a second here, because the reason that Donald doesn't want to participate in these debates is because he knows that he's a lousy debater, that what he knows and it always bothered him. You know, he'll always tell you, I have the thickest skin. Nobody has thicker skin than me. Nothing bothers me. You know that that's not true. That's just another one of the 85,000 plus lies that he's told. So the big problem for Donald is that he lies. He lies during the debate. He makes shit up. The statistics he throws out are not legitimate statistics. They're things that maybe somebody said on OAN or on Newsmax or some other right-wing, you know, conspiratorial uh, website, and he'll throw it out there. And then, of course, all of the facts checkers on both sides, on the Fox side and the CNN, MSNBC side. Well, Terrence said, it's just not true because, you know, it's just not true. So, you know, that's the, you know, I just wanted to interject that for sure uh, while you're, yeah. So please continue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. And I think that's the, the but also think back to 20, mid 2015 when Trump got into the race and through the 2016 primary, you know, there's, 16 people and then there's 12 people and then there's eight people and he always dominated those stages because you know even like mary trump talks about he'd come out there and he'd just blow everybody back and these were all otherwise normal human beings right they'd never encountered anything like him in politics i think also you tell me i think he also doesn't like the one-on-one -on -one thing because again not only with the lies but now there's there's no He's got to take on one person and they have the ability to come back directly at him. It's not him sort of throwing a, a re, you know, rhetorical or metaphorical hand grenade into a big group of people and watching everybody scramble around. Yeah. And he he understood that when there were 16 other Republican nominees on that line, that he was going to say whatever he wanted. He didn't follow the rules, right. which is, you know, you get two minutes and then if they mention your name, you get one minute. And then if they mention it again, you get 30 seconds. He didn't care. And it was interesting watching it because we can all say whatever we want about, you know, Ted Cruz. He's really just a fucking pathetic human being. Right. But Believe he me. happens to be a good debater. He happens to know his facts. The problem is he couldn't put his facts together because Trump wouldn't give him the opportunity to do it. Very much the same as when he started to mosey on down right behind Hillary Clinton during the debate at Hofstra University. Right. And he started to cast a shadow over her, you know, sitting over her head. Right. I mean, he doesn't respect any of the rules. And what bothered me about this entire scenario is you may have seen, you know, you have the RNC chairwoman, Ronna Romney McDaniel. Mm -hmm. And the problem with Ronna is she is literally, literally, I mean, eyeballs deep into the cult of Trump. She came in, she came in belly button deep into that, you know, into that swamp. And over the course of the past five years, she's now legitimately eyeballs deep into this cult. And whatever Donald tells her to do, she's going to do. Because without Donald, if you think about it, what relevance is Rana? Well, and he and he owns all the he all he owns all the national committee men and committee women. Right. So if he if he were to put out the call that to your point, 
that he'd lost confidence, and he would call her, I'm sure, Michael, Ronna Romney McDaniel, when that time finally comes, he will say she's no longer qualified. And the committee men and committee women, you know, two from each state and the in the state party chair, that's how they do it in the Republican Party, I'm sure would call for a vote of no confidence or whatever the rule is immediately, right, and toss her out on the street. Oh, in, in a heartbeat. I mean, she doesn't realize how fast that her job can be taken from her. Right now, in that statement, she turns around and I'm going to quote, she states that the reason that they've elected, you know, to withdraw from this is that these proceedings are biased and has refused to enact simple and common sense reforms to help ensure fair debates, including hosting debates before voting begins and selecting moderators who have never worked for candidates on the debate stage. Now, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, and I'm not a fan of hers either. I actually, in all fairness, I can't stand her. And I'm talking (laughs) about Megyn Kelly. I'm not sure what Megyn Kelly or how Megyn Kelly fits into this, because I'm not aware that she ever worked for any one of the candidates that were there during that moderating period that she had. I just don't get it. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's if it's Megyn Kelly so much unless she was mentioned specifically as it might be like a George Stephanopoulos who actually did work for Bill Clinton 30 years ago. Um, and so I think that might be it. I think the other part, too, is, you know, to your point about the rules. Right. And, um, you know, all these other things, you know, making it fair, whatever. The truth is, is that it's fair to the extent that you're, you know, you're willing to be a normal human being, which Trump can't be. I think the other part, too, is there's always been there's been a motivating myth, Michael, in the Republican Party that the mainstream media is out to get you. But it's more a it's more it's much more like one more tactic to fire up Republican and conservative voters. The truth is, and we see this with Trump in 2016. I don't think there were a lot of media outlets who were begging and hoping that Donald Trump would be president. Maybe they would. But the truth is, is that Republicans win in spite of negative media coverage and have for decades. So this is just one more myth about how, you know, the mainstream media, the lamestream media is out to get Republicans and in particular Trump. Yeah. And one of the other things he doesn't like, or I should say Rana doesn't particularly care for, is the decision to mute, you know, the mics during, you know, debates when you go over, you know, your, your time period. It's amazing that a simple rule like just following the time period is something that none of them actually ever really follow. And right. I, I don't under, I truly don't understand the reason why they can't, you know, why they can't follow just that one simple rule. And as for Stephanopoulos, yeah, he did. He worked for Clinton, but most people should remember that his parting from the White House, um, you know, it, he doesn't have, let's say, Sunday morning breakfast with the Clintons. So right. the notion that he's going to, you know, ruin his reputation simply by asking a partisan question. The problem is if Donald doesn't like the question and that has and that's any question that's not a softball that praises him. Therefore, right. it's a partisan question and it's biased. Well, and, and the, the one piece I think that's even more important in there than the moderator is the idea of getting these done, quote, before voting starts. And as you know, voting has expanded significantly, or at least the time you can vote has expanded significantly since the late 80s or the early 90s. And so what I think they're really saying there is we want to have these debates in the summer when no one's watching, right, before anybody actually does cast a ballot, before anybody has tuned in post-Labor Day, so that we can get all of the craziness we want out of the way and anything we say no one will remember, no one will have seen by the time, because we do know that like the Super Bowl, presidential debates are one of those things that all Americans or many, many Americans actually tune into um, because it's on all three networks. It'll be on all three cable nets, whatever it is. Uh, it is the it is the center point of American life and culture at that moment. Right. SNL will make jokes about it, whatever the case might be. They want that all pushed into like July and August so that nobody's home. Nobody's watching their television. So by the time the fall campaign begins, all of the troublesome stuff for a guy like Trump is out of the way that he never actually has to face the American people writ large before they, they cast a ballot. Yeah. And you know what would be an interesting thing? First of all, I think that the debates are too long. So I would say let's shorten them. 
right, by maybe a half hour to possibly, mm-hmm. you know, at least a half an hour. And the interesting thing is, let's say the entire process is going to be 15 questions, right? What I would propose is let Ronna Romney McDaniels provide, you know, let's say 16 questions. Mm-hmm. Ronna should provide eight questions for both, you know, for the opposite candidate. And then Jamie Harrison, the head of the DNC, should then write his eight questions for the Republican, right? And that way you can't say that any of the questions are partisan because it's the opposite side. And I think that that would be, that would be a very interesting way to do it. And it wouldn't really matter then who the moderator is. Fuck. For God's sakes, you and I could be the moderators. All we're doing is reading the questions and basically stopping them from going, you know, from what should be two minutes or three minutes in their response to 10 minutes, which, of course, both sides would do. But I think that would be an interesting way to do it. Let each side write the question for the other side. Well, I mean, and that could be or maybe they take, you know, or we're going to take two questions from each because the media also takes takes its role in this very, very seriously, right? Whoever's announced as the moderator, they will have hours and hours and hours of meetings uh, with their staff. They'll do all this research. And the truth is, you don't, no one knows when they're going to come. You have a pretty good idea, you know, national security, the economy, whatever it is. Um, and the campaigns will then try and navigate, okay, what is that question going to be? What is our aha moment going to be? I mean, you've seen this, right? It's, you know, if you go back to 84 in Reagan versus Mondale, you know, I, I will not use my opponent's youth and experience against him when they asked a question about age, right? It brought the house down. Even Mondale laughed because it was such a perfect line, right? They had teed that up. Um, when, Her- when Kamala Harris, now vice president, went after Joe Biden, now the president, about busing, right, in, what is that, 20, or, you know, 2019, they knew that that was their shot. They took it. Right. It sort of it sort of knocked the Biden campaign off step for a couple of days. But that was the high watermark of her campaign. Right. It never, and, and then, you know, with uh, Christie, right, when Rubio uh, was was flailing around and Christie just nailed him, right, just nailed him to the wall. That effectively ended Rubio's campaign. So in these debates, those moments can matter. Um, and, you know, if it was Harrison or Rana, whoever was asking questions, you know, there'll be gotcha questions no matter what. And if you don't like the question, to your point, Michael. The, both campaigns, both Republicans and Democrats will complain, right? They're always going to complain that they didn't like it. Um, the difference is, and I think the broader point that you're making is that, to Stewart's earlier point, is that saying we will not participate in this. We will not put a candidate for national office up before the American people, I think shows, one, that they are still and will be until he decides it's not Donald Trump's party, and two, that they don't believe that they answer to the American people. And I think that's the dangerous part. Yep. And they, they absolutely don't believe it because Donald doesn't believe, even when he was president, that he has to answer to anyone other than himself because he ran the government the way he ran the Trump organization. But let me move on, Reed, for a quick second. Um, ABC News reported earlier this week that the, that Trump coup memo attorney John Eastman met privately with the Wisconsin House Speaker Robin Voss to pressure him to decertify the 2020 results. Now, that last month, look, first off, there really is an ongoing coup. It has not stopped. So my question, though, is who is actually right now directing Eastman? And why would somebody who's likely going to end up in prison engaging in the same sedition after he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar? I really need this one explained to me because I was so confused by it. So a a couple of things. One is that we should give credit to Lauren Windsor and her work at The Undercurrent. She's the one who actually got Eastman on tape admitting to what he had done. Right. And this was, I think, last summer sometime. Then to your point, you know, that's right, Michael. I didn't realize that when I first saw that that story broke. He's been doing this up until last month. Right. So let me yeah. say this. I were I lived and worked in California politics for 10 years. Eastman was always out there as sort of the quote unquote constitutional Republican. Right. Coming up with harebrained schemes and wild constitutional theories about this and that. And, and as you can imagine, California, always fertile ground for the most fertile and insane Republican minds. Right. Um, 
Why is he, do, who is telling him to do this? You know, it, the only thing I can divine or, or impute is that um, going back to when Trump withdrew his, his endorsement of Mo Brooks for the Alabama Senate race and he, because he thought that Brooks was going to lose. Um, immediately, and you, you've been through this personally, Brooks realized, okay, there's no honor among with this thief, right? And so went out and said, the guy's been continually calling me and saying, are you going to overturn it? Or are you going to overturn it? Does that mean Trump called John Eastman? I don't know, right? But clearly, there's a cabal, whether or not it starts with Trump, whether or not it's Jenny Thomas, whoever. But I, I think to call it a conspiracy is probably giving these people too much credit. Uh, it might effectually be that, right? It might functionally be that. Uh, but I think that they've all now decided, like, this is their mission in life is to overturn this stuff. Why Eastman would continue to do this? I think he's just off his rocker at this point, Michael. I mean, he's he you know, he's going to have to eventually face the January 6th commission or he's going to face. I mean, if they ever committee, if they ever get off the schneid um, and he's going to eventually, I assume, face disbarment from someone um, or, you know, potentially prosecution from a Justice Department that will, you know, be a, a Democratic administration for the next two and a half years. Um, so I think that they're all this is this is the so much of the problem with what we see, Michael, is we're so far off any map that any of us can imagine driving on. Right. That that like we're in unch- we're in literally uncharted territory. He goes and does this. But I think the bigger point from Trump on down is that there has been no sanction. Right. There's been no political sanction. There's been no societal sanction. There's been no legal sanction, no prosecution. So they're like, well, they're never going to come after me anyway. So I'm just going to keep going and do this. Yeah. And, you know, when I was first um, advised of this whole issue with John Eastman, you know, there's an article that was written in Vanity Fair. That's where I first read it by Best Levin. And actually, the way she started the article off is really what made me so curious about this entire topic. And she starts it off by saying, let's say that you were under investigation for attempted murder. And while this was happening, it probably wouldn't be a great idea to try and murder another person. And it definitely (laughs) wouldn't be a good idea to get caught attempting to murder the same person the cops already suspected you trying to kill. To most people, this is common sense. But of course, not everyone is savvy to the don't try to murder someone while already already under investigation for attempted murder rule. And by some people, we mean Donald Trump and his cronies who are at this very moment, despite the active congressional investigation into their attempt to overturn the 2020 election, still trying to overturn the 2020 election. And I thought that it was so brilliant of her, the way that she characterized this. And I just started looking into it. I'm saying, holy shit, John Eastman is still at it. And yet there's still the lawsuit that threatens to bankrupt a whole slew of people from Giuliani to the my pillow guy to, you know, to, you know, over the um, voting machines. Right. I, I just don't understand how a guy who is not recognized as being fundamentally fucked up and stupid how he could be so fundamentally fucked up and stupid well i think this goes to um you know your earlier earlier question about authoritarianism and how it spreads um i mean you spent enough time around donald trump to know you know the i mean for lack of a better way to put it the, the his ability uh to create a cult of personality with those that are around him um, especially, yeah, and, unfortunately that, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that was when Michael, y'all were in New York and other real estate now transfer that, as you know, to the most powerful position humanity has ever created, ever created. And now think about the people who are willing to be around that, despite all of the other things they know. I mean, the idea that whether or not it's Eastman or Meadows uh, or what's her name, the the other attorney who called Raffensperger, the fact, or Mike Lee now and 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 Chip Roy from Texas, like they know all this is wrong. They know it's all bullshit, but they do it anyway because the magnetism of a combination of Trump and his egomania and 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 it is a charisma, right? I don't think it's a positive word, but it is a charisma, a magnetism. Um, and you mix that with the Oval Office and all of the power and riches and self-aggrandizement, 
it is something that people are just, they, they've been captured, right? They're fully captured. Not just them, you know, 30 or 40 million Americans too. Um, and so now you see people who have put, been perfectly willing to put reason aside, to put scruple aside, to put legality aside, to put any of it, decency aside, and say, I'm all in on this, right? And again, I think it is, it goes back to this thing. If you were someone who was, you know, you know, suspected of attempted murder, right? And you had been prosecuted for that attempted murder and convicted, well, you'd be in prison, so you wouldn't be able to do it again, at least not until you got out. These folks are, you know, they're, they're political, I don't know, they're political attempted, you know, murderers on the, on the, on the, on the move. And, you know, the people know what they're up to. They're tracking them. They know what's happening. And yet, you know, the lieutenant governor of, of New York goes down for campaign finance violations and John Eastman's in Wisconsin saying we got to overturn the 2020 election, blatant sedition out in public. And, you know, he's sleeping in bed at night. Yeah, well, I, too, went to prison for campaign finance violation, right? You know, paying the $130,000 hush money to Stormy Daniels so that I guess, you know, Trump didn't but that's want my everybody point, to know. Other than you, other than you, who has been held to account legally? No, no, nobody. And, right. you know, I guess I, I guess mean, doesn't that some, seem insane to you? It must from I your perspective. I don't, not not insane. It's it. I don't even know what it would be. The word past <laughs> insanity where it's like it's it's almost like a bad dream. And I can't right. figure it out. And the worst part is how government, even under democratic control, you still can get no information out of government in order to show that Donald Trump orchestrated this with a willing and complicit piece of shit, Bill Barr, who now wants to re-enter polite society and claim, oh, you know, I told Donald I lost the election. Hey, Bill, when you're listening to this, fuck you. All right. Fuck you and fuck you because you're full of shit. What you did for him, people turn around and say, oh, well, you know, you work for Donald Trump for more than a decade and so on and so forth. That's true. I did. But not on not on this national, international scale, as you correctly you know, pointed out. The Trump organization is a mom and pop company. That's a right. microcosm. It is a fucking microcosm of the real estate industry in New York. Did I fuck over contractors? Sure I did. By the way, every real estate developer fucks over the contractor. That's why they overcharge you, right? Did right. I fuck over law firms because he didn't want to pay them rightfully or wrongfully? Absolutely, right? Did I, you know, did I file litigation against people? Absolutely I did on behalf of my scumbag, um, you know, boss. But at no point in time was I sitting there trying to overthrow the government of the United States. At no point did I, you know, turn around and hold Ukraine hostage, you know, uh, not wanting to provide them with, you know, congressionally um, allocated funds to protect themselves. Did I, you know, did I had nothing to do with, you know, build the wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. So, you know, I want right. people to understand and put, I, I recognize the things that I did wrong and that I did wrong for Donald at his direction and for his benefit. But come on, seriously, you got a guy here who even to this day is out there trying to overturn an election, right? Despite the fact that we've already had Joe Biden certified as the 40, as the, you know, as, as the president of the United States. Right. And yet they still out there continuing to promote the big lie. And the only reason that I could think that they're doing that is simply because it's financially beneficial to them. Oh, there is still a group that. of people out there who are dumb as shit and they're willing to part with their hard earned money and give it to Donald and his, and his fucking cronies simply because they continue with this bombastic bullshit day in and day out. And somewhere along the line, Donald truly believes that the more that you say something over and over again, including with this lie, that it will ultimately become the truth. Well, and, you know, I will say this too, Michael, again, with your particular experience, he has had throughout his life an almost preternatural ability to bend reality to his whims. Right. Which is uh, you, you can't teach that you either, either, either have it or you don't. Um, but also history teaches us that the bigger the lie and told more often eventually will become the truth, which is why, again, 
you know, the seventy percent of you know self-identified Republicans believe that the twenty twenty election was stolen. That's a fundamentally unhealthy thing. How many candidates for public office that are Republicans, whether or not it's state legislature, statewide office, congressional Senate, how many of those running in competitive primaries are, you know, have been willing to say that 2020 was stolen? Why? Because they know that that 30 or 40 percent of the of the Republican electorate, the, the actual voters are hardcore Trumpers. Right. And if you don't say that, they're not going to come to you. And if you somehow like a Brian Kemp in Georgia sneak through, there's a good chance they'll stay home. Right. Because here's the other part, too, Michael, as, as an old I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm an independent. You, Trump doesn't care about the Republican Party. He doesn't care about any of it. It's a vehicle. Right. It's just it's a car. It's not even a car he likes very much. It's just one he drives in because it gets him to where he wants to go. Um, but he doesn't care about there's no there's no ideology there. You know that there's no there's no sort of like, oh, I've thought about this intellectually and I believe in this policy or that policy. None of that shit. It matters to them. And it, and it now goes down not only to the candidates, but also to the voters. So they, they don't care about anything so long as there's sort of this perfect loyalty or being in line. And for Republican candidates now, um, it has to be 2020 was stolen. And I would venture to say that if Trump, for whatever reason, decided not to run in 2024, whoever ran would have to say that, too, to either garner his endorsement or to keep, you know, or to keep enough Republican primary voters in line that were still diehard Trump supporters that they would have to say that 2020 was stolen. I'm only here to take up the mantle of Trump or whatever happy horse shit they'd come up with. Yeah, but here's the thing that always confuses me. And I seem to be confused quite a bit these days because none of this makes any sense. You don't have just Trump on, on recordings. You don't have just emails and text messages from a multitude of people. You don't just have the depositions or testimony of hundreds of people saying it. You have, you, you know, you, you have this, this whole metaverse out there that is constantly repeating all of this information over and over and over again, and yet right. it still will not sink into the heads of these Trump supporters. It is amazing where, you know, guys go out, like David Pakman will go out, and I find him to be hysterical, to a Trump-type rally, and right. he'll turn around and he'll ask somebody, who's the president of the United States? And these elder people or younger people will turn around and they will say, oh, it's Donald Trump. Well, who's occupying the White House? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Donald Trump is still really the president right now. But who's making all the decisions? And they're like, Donald Trump. And it's like you say to yourself, look, you know, it's not nice to call somebody stupid and so on or just delusional or whatever other adjective you want to describe these folks. But this is a twisted and it is a bent sense of reality when you cannot even acknowledge that Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States of America. Right. I mean, it is it is a delusion of of like significant magnitude. And I just don't understand. Now, I get it. Donald has that that personality, that cult like you know, personality that he brings people in, myself included, and I never thought that I would ever be a part of any type of a cult because it's just generally not my nature, but I fell into it hook, line, and sinker. But at some point in time, you have to open up your eyes and you have to turn around and say, oh my God, right? I mean, I'm hearing his voice. I'm seeing text messages. I'm seeing emails. I'm seeing other things, you know, on a regular basis. And yet I still refuse to acknowledge reality. Yeah. Well, so, you know, in some of those guys that go to those rallies, you know, um, I saw one just the other day. Uh, it was a guy talking to uh, a couple about January 6th. And, um, and he said, uh, they said, oh, well, it was Antifa that went to the Capitol. And the guy's like, Antifa? And they said, yeah, it was Antifa. And he goes, but wouldn't Antifa, so was Antifa there to make sure that Joe Biden was president? No, 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 no. It was, it was that, you know, they were there because they wanted to make Donald Trump look bad. But didn't they say that they wanted Donald Trump to be president? Yeah, but that was just the, and then you could see 
as the guys asking the questions, you got you can actually see Michael is in the the cognitive dissonance take hold, and now they're to your point the reality the unreality is unraveling, and they sort of taper off because now they're like, oh wait a second, that doesn't make any sense, right? But the problem is to your point is the mass delusion occurs far faster than the mass realization because there is no mass realization. There's individual realization, which is why I think. Um, when you saw with with Tucker and Trump extolling the virtues of Putin before he invades Ukraine and then he invades Ukraine, the Ukrainians stand up for themselves. They realize the young democracy with the heroic president is actually fighting off this bully. And now you see a whole bunch of people, a dear friend of mine who lives in Southern California, you know, very well to do guy, um, very wealthy guy, voted for Trump in 16, voted for Trump in 20, looks at me and says, do you think this Russia thing's finally going to rid us of Trump? So you can even see there that that they 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 watch Tucker, they watch Fox, they listen to all the other insanity, right? But when reality does pierce that veil, right, it it becomes a very uncomfortable thing because Michael, to your point, you have to you're you're going through a a psychological process, and we've talked to Steve Hassan and Nick Carmody and all these psychologists who really study this stuff, and that is a painful process. You yourself might have gone through it. Because it's that you have to basically extract yourself. Remember, like in the Matrix, right? When they pull Keanu Reeves out of the goo, it's basically like that. Yeah. Let me just sort of say to you, it's, it's, it drives me nuts that the reality, when it's in regard to Joe Biden, is seen by everybody, Republicans and Democrats, Right. But the reality for Donald Trump is so matrix twisted that nobody wants to acknowledge, you know, any of the things that he did or he said that we know he did. And we know that he said because there's a television camera on him 24 seven when he was president of the United States. But they still want to fight you like that old couple that you're referring to in. The, I saw the same video and I watched as his, you know, cognitive, you know, um, comprehension, you know, started to take root that he goes, it does not make sense. But nevertheless, they he and his wife refused to acknowledge the reality. They were just trying to figure out how to bullshit their way out of a question that they knew that there was no real answer to. But I do want to move on for a second, Reed, and ask you this. The New York Times recently reported that despite the fact that the January 6th committee has more than enough evidence to issue a criminal referral for Donald Trump, some committee members fear that doing so would politicize any potential Justice Department investigation. Now, this one, again, boggles my mind. Why wouldn't they, you know, shout from the rooftops what Trump did and recommend that he be prosecuted? And by the way, we're going through the same bullshit here in New York with the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. How is that politicization, right? I'm worried that Merrick Garland won't prosecute Trump, even if there was video of him drowning children in the fucking Potomac River. So if you would just discuss this with me. So th this is a great question and, and one that I was just talking about with our team this morning. Um, Democrats as a party, especially at the national level, I don't want to talk about individual voters because I think they agree with you and they agree with me, um, have have yet to accept the reality of where we are politically as a country. They want to believe that we're in the before times. They want to believe that that the world as it existed pre-Trump pre-COVID, pre-all the other stuff that we, de we deal with on a daily basis, still exists. They want to believe that you can, as a Justice Department with Merrick Garland, you can go back to a time before Bill Barr and before, uh, what's his name, the little guy from, from Alabama, Jeff Je Sessions. Uh, Sessions. Right. right. They want to go back before those things. They, they want to believe that the Justice Department must remain apolitical. I even believe the White House believes that, which is why they're probably not telling, at least in any real way, Garland to get off, the sh get off his ass and start doing something about this. I think it's the same thing with the Democrats, which is – and we've seen this since last year, right? They had, they had, I thought, a very compelling hearing with the Capitol Police officers and the D.C. police officers last August, Right. They haven't really done anything since then, right? And it's this idea of there's a couple of things. One is we don't want to talk about this anymore. 
right? I just want it to go away, right? Sort of the head in the sand piece. There's the, I don't want to look too partisan, right? Because I feel I'm above that, right? I'm above this ugliness and and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then there's the, and I think that this is a very active measure on behalf of, on, on the part of Republicans in Congress, which is what are they going to do to us if they take over, right? None of which is a good excuse for what they're doing. Right. They they don't want to do this. And there's the other part, too, is Democrats. Again, they believe themselves to be above this stuff. They're not right. They're not. I mean, I just think back to um, the recently departed Harry Reid, who was the majority leader, minority leader of the Democrats in the United States Senate. Republicans hated him. Why? Because he was as, as good or better at playing the bare knuckle political game than they were. And he was one of a kind at it, probably. Maybe Clinton, maybe Obama in their day. But like that, Democrats want to be thought of as above all this. They don't want to get dirty. They, they think it's distasteful. And again, I think they want it to all disappear. It's the same reason why, Michael, whenever it's any culture issue, rather than saying that's horseshit, this is ridiculous, you know, F off, or you're doing this because you're this or that, like they follow, they follow the Republican into the alley and they get shipped every time. They just don't understand the nature of the game we're playing. They don't understand the nature of the fight we're in. They believe that this is also somehow some fever that will break. And it's not. It's not a fever that's going to break. And so they have to, and, and then there'll be this, oh, well, if we prosecute Trump, we'll make him a martyr. That's going to happen one way or the other, right? That's going to happen one way or the other. Um, and this, but that doesn't excuse like these other people who are out there. And, and think about this. The Republicans in the United States House spent three years on Benghazi hearings, right? Day in, day out. That's all they did. Republicans understand the nature. And I say, when I say value, I don't mean to put a positive spin on it, but the value of spectacle, right? That's why they did it. Mm-hmm. That's why they hauled Clinton up there, right? I mean, Kevin McCarthy even said Benghazi was nothing more than a long-term play to make sure that we could try and discredit Hillary Clinton. That's what it was all about. They should be having hearings four nights a week in prime time, hauling these people up, right? And doing it the way and keeping it front and center. And holding them in contempt if they don't show up. Right. And making them not show up, making them hide. The Republicans are scared to death of this. They know it's bad for them. And Democrats won't take advantage of it because they don't have that. Too many of them, far too many of them, don't have a killer instinct, right? And as you know, Michael, in most things in life, like there is no such thing as a moral victory. Right. Like you win or you lose in politics. It's a binary choice. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. And a lot of these, this is all comes down to the election in November in 22. And then subsequently an election in 2024, they have all they need. I can only imagine the stuff that all these staffers and all these lawyers and all these members are looking at. They have what they need. Yep. And it was no different than here in the, with the DA's office. I know the documents because I gave it to them. I've sat 15 times, you know, with the DA's office and the fact that they are not prosecuting. Something that the Democrats just don't understand is that Donald Trump is like fucking herpes, right? It it ain't going away, right? You could mask it. You could do whatever you want. That shit's coming back and it's going to be here for life unless, you know, I hate to say it unless you char the body and they're just not willing to do like what we're doing, right? We're, we're engaging in a fight for the democracy, for the future yeah. of America. And yet these Democrats, they sit there and they pound their fist and they send their fucking letters to the OIG, to Michael Horowitz that ignores them and everything else. And they just, you have now what? 800 people have now provided testimony to the January 6th committee. 800 people and you don't have him indicted yet listen this is exactly what trump would do now if i was still with trump the first thing i would do is i would be on television and saying all right listen up folks 800 people you're talking about you're talking about minimum of 7200 hours of testimony if you don't have a clear-cut fucking case after 7200 hours it's time for you to do the right thing acknowledge that you're full of shit and that this is a witch hunt that's what they're doing and they're and they're doing it successfully while the truth is is that we know that trump was involved we know there were burner phones we know when he says that 
he doesn't even know what a burner phone is. We know that he's full of shit. I mean, it is so aggravating to me. Somebody, Merrick Garland, needs to get off their ass, grow a set of balls, indict the motherfuckers, right? And hold them accountable for sedition. End of story. For treason. For, you know, for the big lie. Otherwise, you're 100% right when you earlier said that's exactly what the next Republican nominee will go off of. It'll be all about the big lie and how we need to get the Republican vote out there to ensure that the big lie doesn't happen while they're there creating the big lie with all of the new you know, appointees to the state legislators that are going to be counting these votes. But moving oh, yeah, on for a for sure. Yeah, but, but moving read on for a second. I want to ask you a question that I asked Joe Trippi the other day and that I've asked many of my guests, and that's about the midterm elections and the possibility of the GOP retaking not just the House, but the Senate as well. Now, that fills me with both terror and existential despair. It's unfathomable that people will vote these people into office knowing what they do and what they've done to destroy our democracy. Now, if you would do me the favor, unpack Mm. for me what you think is actually happening here politically. Is it just inflation that's causing the problem? Is it wokeness? I mean, has the GOP found a winning hand with being all culture war all the time party? Uh, Well, they have at the moment... Uh, It goes back and forth. Right. I mean, the truth is, is that um, American voters are a lot seem a lot more like French voters now. Right. Which is they don't whoever's in charge, they don't like. Um, And that that could just be the nature of the polarization and and this sort of chaos that that consumes us every day. Um, But I think that people will vote. Remember, it's very few people that vote. um, Very few candidates have a broader, like greater message. Right. A positive message. I mean, Trump ran twice and it was always build the wall or whatever. It was sort of it was always rooted in resentment and everything else. Um, You know, Biden, Biden was, I guess, the right guy at the right time. Clinton didn't have a message. Right. That was coherent. And and again, she was also mythological. She had 25 years of baggage. um, And I sort of I I totally miss that. Um, I can they win in in November? I think they can. Will they? They might. I mean, history demographics, everything else, you know, gerrymandering is all against Democrats at this point. I think also the the party, the, the, the culture war thing, I think is so damaging to Democrats because if you, and I just, I was talking to, you know, the guys just the other day about this and I, I had this aha moment and it's probably not that profound is that if you look at all of the culture war issues that Republicans open up right on, onto America, the democratic, the, most of the Democrats main political organs, right? Their their main interest groups are the things that have been built in response to those culture war issues, whether or not it's abortion, same-sex marriage, whatever it is, right? The problem with that is that you are playing into Republicans' hands. Like we know, having talked to some of our partner organizations, for example, that in South Florida, if you go to uh, a Latino neighborhood, and remember in South Florida, there's 27 different Latino ethnicities, right? From Spain, you know, Cuba, Spain, South, Central America, South America. They believe all the don't gay, say gay stuff is bad. They think it's unnecessary. They think it's ugly. They think it's mean spirited. But at the end of the day, like their rent just went up a thousand dollars a month. So if you're a Democratic voter and all you're hearing from your Democratic candidate is we must get elected to get rid of don't say gay, like you might believe that, but it's not the issue that's motivating you. Does that make sense? It like makes perfect like, I, sense. I got to feed my family. And so I think that Republicans are using the culture war because they know Democrats don't know how to respond to it. And Democrats rather th- are, are falling into the trap again and again and again. And it just has to be believable enough for enough people in these key states and key districts to say, well, I don't really like the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party scares the hell out of me. I don't know. I, I can't I, tell you. I can't tell you, Michael, how many times a day and a week I hear that. You and me both when I hear everybody turns around and, you know, especially here in New York, any time that you're a Republican and you want to shit on Democrats. Well, how about AOC? What about AOC? AOC this, AOC that. She is one member of Congress, right? Now, do I agree with everything that she says? No. 
Do I disagree with everything that she says? No. There are some things that we fundamentally disagree upon. But then again, sure. we're different people from different areas, from right. with different genders. I mean, there are things that I that I think that she's never going to think and vice versa. And I'm not supposed to think the same thing that she does. Could you imagine if everybody all in Capitol Hill all thought the same thing? You wouldn't have a Republican Party. You wouldn't have a Democratic Party. You wouldn't also have the various different factions in each and every one of the party. But what they do is they take, you know, Ilhan Omar and then they'll say, well, what about her stance, you know, uh, against Israel. And so, oh my God, what does that have to do right now with the whole issue of Antifa? What does it have to do with wokeness? What does it have to do with the fact that, you know, there are bans right now on books that we all read, you know, growing up in school? Sure. I I, again, I just, I just don't get it. But I want to follow well, I mean, this question let up. Let me just say this, is that you're absolutely right. And this is where, this is where I think the two parties are, are different which is the fringe the fringe wing of the Republican Party is now the majority of the party and the establishment is narrow. The establishment part of the Democratic Party is the large part, but it's scared to death of the fringe of the of the AOCs of the world. Therefore, they don't push back on the things you hear, whether it's defund the police or any of the other nuttiness. Therefore, when when people interpret your belief as a Democratic candidate as AOCs and you don't say, we might be part of the same party, but I don't agree with her on this. And you are willing to stand up to that, right? No one's willing. They're scared to death of the, of the woke mob coming after them, right? Of the, of the progressive mob coming after them. When in fact, if they stood up to it, they would do better with their core voters and they would do better with independents and Republicans because they'd be like, okay, this person yeah. may have a D behind their name, but they don't believe in that stuff. Yeah, they're just trying to take the path of least resistance. But, you know, tell me if you agree with me on this. I believe that if Republicans take the House and the Senate, literally the day after they're all inaugurated, I believe articles of impeachment against Joe Biden will be forthcoming and Believe it or not, I also believe that the Senate may actually um, be successful in convicting him uh, on that and impeaching him. And I think that's a terrible, terrible thing that's going to happen. And you can see it already. They're already laying the foundation talking about Afghanistan. I personally believe that Biden's, you know, that the withdrawal um, in Afghanistan under the Biden administration, I believe it was a success. I believe anytime you're able to get 125 plus thousand people out of a war zone, which is what Afghanistan has been with the United, mm -hmm. you know, as far as the United for States 20 is years, concerned right. for 20 plus years. Um, and there are limited numbers of death, though I would prefer it to be zero, you know, as the result of a suicide bomber. I believe that that to be a success. But somewhere along the line, Republicans have repainted history, you know, to make it seem as if it is a complete failure. And I just don't see it. Do I think it was a perfect withdrawal? No, but it definitely was not a failure. Well, I'll say this is that um, I think that they will um, impeach. Now, this is this is the funny thing, Michael, which is where you could see a guy like Kevin McCarthy is so betwixt in between. You know, this is a guy who's riding the tiger, right? Like he thinks he can be Speaker of the House, right? And mm -hmm. he needs to say stuff like if if we take over and I'm speaker, we won't impeach Joe Biden because he needs his, you know, the Charles Schwab's of the world, uh, the uh, the uh, all the other you know guys who are going to give five, ten million dollars or half a million or one hundred thousand dollars to his super PAC. He's got to say those things out loud because they don't like the crazy. Right. They hate the crazy. They hate the Marjorie three names right. and the Lauren Boberts and all that stuff. But it's not true. Right. And if and, and so it's just one more, you know, he's painted one more bullseye on his rear end uh, for those folks. I think the the other part, too, is that I think they'll impeach Harris as well. They'll blame her for the border. Absolutely. Right? Because, Absolutely. And so and, and she actually, I think, in many ways, is a far more uh, inviting target to them because she fills she checks so many boxes for their core ugliness. Right. She's a woman yep. of color. She's the yep. vice president. She, they can wrap the border into it. She's from California. All yep. that stuff. Right? All of it. Um, but the one thing I don't I don't think I want I want to make sure your listeners do not underestimate is how important some of these governor's races are too. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, you know, Georgia, these places where 
in, in post-2020, you even saw it back to John Eastman, he complained that a lot of these legislators were unwilling to do the things they needed to do. If you get some of these places like a Wisconsin or a Michigan or a Pennsylvania, where you have a, it's either a very closely divided legislature or it's already a Republican legislature, you add that to a Republican governor's mansion, right? The, the, all of these places, you know, Michael, are going to be more Trumpy, not less in January of next year. Yeah, it'll, people, it'll go from purple to red for sure. And so they'll just steal the damn thing in 24. They won't have well, to do that's anything. What, and that's what they're hoping for. But let me ask you this then, Reed. Molly mm-hmm. Jung Fast wrote an interesting piece the um, not too long ago for Vice uh, mm-hmm. that asked why the Democrats weren't fighting back against the ridiculous claims that they are a party of pedophiles. I mean, mm-hmm. we got to get into this stuff because this is part of the larger um, QAnonization of the GOP, sure. as witnessed in the attempted smearing of Justice Katanji Brown Jackson during her confirmation hearings. I mean, talk about a shit stain on American democracy and oh, from sure. the world. Right now, the smears failed, but the dog whistle was a clue that the GOP was leaning into something way more sinister. Now, according to the Vice article, half of Republicans and almost a third of Americans overall said in a recent YouGov poll that it's definitely or probably true that top Democrats are involved in elite child sex trafficking rings. Now, that's a slight uptick in belief of that core QAnon conspiracy from when the pollster started asking the same question in 2020. Now, while you don't want to give this crap oxygen, and I hate to do it, but there's a sense that we're losing a larger culture war. The GOP and the extreme right are flushing industrial quantities of toxic bullshit, and we just roll our eyes and say no one could believe this shit. But sadly enough, too many Republicans, too many Americans do. Discuss right. this with me if you would. So first of all, on the on the issue of the pedophile thing, um, this is they have literally taken a a page out of the Eastern European and Russian authoritarian playbook. This is literally what they do. If you are in Eastern Europe or you are in Russia and you are an authoritarian and there is someone who is challenging you, the first most consistent charge you make is that this is a pedophile, that they harm children it's, and, and or they're homosexuals or both, right? Um, and so this is something that is, it is not new. It is new to us, but it is not new to authoritarian regimes, because in so many of these places, like the Republican Party now, Michael, it is rooted in a white Christian evangelicalism, right? That that, you know, the the even even though so many of these pastors, right, are, are horrible people, right? Like they have done things, um, not not despite the fact that like Tennessee just passed a bill or, you know, they were about to pass a bill that said, you know, you you know, girls as young as 10 could be married to an adult man. Right. So this is also projection. Right. Which is they want to they want to say the worst possible thing about their opponents. And to your point, whether it's reality or not, perception is reality. They say it and they say it and they say it. And the Democrats, uh, again, you know, I remember, let me just take you back. Rick Wilson and I are sitting, you know, in probably 2018. We, we go to a lot of these salons, right, Michael, in Northwest Washington and Calorama and all these places. We're very earnest people. We're going to make Trump look like a loser. We're going to beat him. We're going to take our party back. And Rick and I would just sort of, you know, <laughs> like shake our heads. And we're like, you guys ain't going to do it. Like, I mean, I, was, I, I have this expression, Michael, and, and you've lived it. Like, y'all are playing chess and Donald Trump eats the pieces. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not the same game. It's not the same game. And, and then I would use another metaphor, having grown up in Texas, which is, you know, how do you put out an oil fire? You don't put it out with water and you don't put it out with hope. You put it, you, you, you deprive it of oxygen, right? You blow, you blow, literally blow with an explosion, usually the flame mm-hmm. off the wellhead. And that's what you had to do to Trump. And that's what we did in 20 was you just had to stay in his face and not let him get any free air. And they don't understand that, which is, and this goes back to all of this stuff, whether or not you're talking about Fox OANN, Bongino, any of them, they never let their people get oxygen. They are in their faces all their time. They've got their they've got their finger on the adrenal gland of these people and they keep it up and they keep it up and they keep it up. They never let them go. Right. Yeah. And then for otherwise normal human beings, one of two things happens. Either 
it's just believable enough to get them to pull a lever for a Republican, or more importantly, it says, I don't want anything to do with any of these people. I'm just going to stay home. But it yeah. all has an electoral thing. And let me just say this on the, on, the, on the now Justice Jackson hearings. This is how twisted the GOP has become, Michael. They were all on the wrong side of the Ukraine stuff. And they realized it in a hurry, which is why they were all wearing blue and yellow at the State of the Union and everything else. Think about this. They were happy that they got Justice Jackson before them because it got them back to comfortable territory, which was racism, misogyny, and talking about crazy shit like pedophilia. Michael, that's comfortable ground for them. And it wasn't a dog whistle. It was a bullhorn, right? That's where they are. And that, to your point about path of least resistance, that's what their core voters want. And every one of those assholes on that committee, with the exception of Lindsey Graham, who is, I don't even know what the word is. Only the Germans have a word for what he's become. Um, They're all all thinking that they're going to run for president next year. And the year oh, yeah. after, right? Because they're all hoping against hope that Trump doesn't run. But yeah, again, they back know to my he's point not. Earlier, they know he's not running, and they're trying to be the most bombastic and the most like Trump, and hope that Trump will end up endorsing them. Trump is not going to run. Rest really? assured, this he will really? not run. Yes, uh, if, really. Uh, not to, not to become the interviewer, but why do you say that? Cause, uh, I'm, because I'm I'd love to hear your feeling. Yeah, well, I, I talk about it um, a lot. First of all, he is an incredibly fragile ego, and he knows right. that he cannot win he knows that he cannot you know in his four years there's just no accomplishments and what will be the the taglines you know well you remember donald trump ran on a series of things i'm gonna repeal and replace obamacare folks it's real easy it's real easy (laughs) right and then right did he repeal and replace obamacare fuck no it's actually doing quite well and i think there's like what 30 million americans on obamacare how about this one for you right Folks, we're going to build a wall. And who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Right? No, no. <laughs> who's going to build? We're going to build the wall. And who's going to pay for it? Right? Right? Mexico. Yeah, that's great. Okay? All of a sudden, right, That's there goes another one. And then you turn around and you start to, you start to turn around and to see, you know, we had a ter- the economy was not what people think in terms of employment was bad. I mean, there are so many things that they're going to be able to attack him on. And Donald just doesn't, even to this day, after being president for four years, still has no requisite knowledge about anything, right? How's immigration going, right? Tearing... All Donald did is tear shit down. The EPA, right. you know, the uh, the FDA, he tore everything down. INS, right? Fuck it. Lock them up. Yeah, these, these people want to come into our country. They don't look like us. They're not like the Ukrainians, right? Blonde, blue-eyed, you know, right. um, tall, good-looking in his opinion, right? These people look different. They're from San Salvador. Fuck them. Throw them into a cage. And you know what? While they're in the cage, let's fuck them over again. Let's take their kids away from them and <laughs> and not even make sure that we know who who you know who each family is and what we'll do is we're going to lie and we're going to start talking about that they're all coyotes right and that what we're doing is we're doing a noble thing but this is donald and he knows he can't win so what he's going to do is he's going to feign some sort of a health issue or it's just not fair to put his family through more of it there's like 20 different litigations against him. I have two against him, right? Hopefully the DA picks his ass up and turns around, decides to do the right thing. We still have Tish James. You still have Georgia. You still have the January 6th committee. You still have the presidential inaugural committee issue going on. I mean, there's litigation against Donald all over. And he'll just say, I can't do it. But what he'll want to do is to still be the power broker. Right. In that case, in that case, being that he'll have power and authority, he can go all over the world and brand his fucking Trump name on buildings right. and so on, which is really all that he ever wanted from this presidency. That was how the presidency started. The whole concept of the presidency was to use the political system to create the greatest political, to create the greatest infomercial in the history of politics. And somewhere right. along the line, this crazy bastard ended up winning. But, you know, Reed, let me thank you so much, you know, for your time. 
and for no, thank your you. insight. And thank you for what you're doing there over at Lincoln Project. I just wish that as you continue to do your stuff and I continue to do mine, people like Jamie Harrison will understand that they have no clue how to beat the Republicans, no clue how to beat Trumpism. And finally, call us all together to sit, you know, together in a room like a, um, a think tank and to direct them what to do to raise the capital that's needed, to raise awareness, and not just awareness with their core supporters, but raise awareness with the country. So I want to thank you for everything that you're doing, and I hope to see you again soon uh, on your show, as well as on Mea Culpa again. Great. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. You got it, Reed. Be good. That's all the time we've got, folks, but we'll be back Thursday with a regular episode of Mea Culpa. We'll be talking to Reed Galen's Lincoln Project colleague, Stuart Stevens. Until then, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my vacation. Stay golden, folks, and thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.